most expensive American car. How much did it cost? A million? Try again. Two million. Not even close. Try six million. And it just sold. It wasn't just the car. It was who owned the car that drove the price sky high. Shelby, automotive genius behind many classic models, owned his personal 1965 Shelby Cobra 427 Roadster until his death in 2012. The Shelby model is famous, featuring in many blockbusters like Gone in 60 Seconds. He bought it for just over 6000 but it just sold for $6 million. That's second only to the first ever Cobra, which sold for $13 million. Carroll Shelby was a legend, even if his racing career was lackluster. He never won a race, but he dominated the industry. Humans will pay a lot just to be close to greatness, but Christ paid it all to bring us close. The price was far greater, and the reward will last forever. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus, and we're continuing to work our way through the Gospel of Luke in our month-long series. Something that's always struck me is how much there is to learn about the world around us. The ancient Proverbs called us to examine insects, even the lowly ant, to learn truths about our God. The ant has no commander, yet it seems to work tirelessly to gather its food. The implication is simple. If the ant is not lazy, neither should we be lazy. And as we continue this series called Meeting Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, today we're going to hear a story about Jesus doing something similar calling us to consider the business practices of a wicked servant and to follow suit. As one author put it, Christ holds up conduct which is no more or less than that of a rascal. And then he says, do like that. In a moment, we're going to hear this story from Luke chapter 16. What can we learn from it? Please stay with me. Let's learn from Christ himself. Now, just before we get started, I want to thank so many listeners who have joined us in reading through the Gospel of Luke this month. And many of you are doing that by watching the Gospel of Luke DVD. It's a feature film telling the story of Christ word for word from the Bible. And what's really cool, if I can use that word, is that the DVD lets you choose between either the NIV or the KJV translations. The movie is filled with talented acting. It was shot on Mediterranean locations, all of which helps to bring Luke's gospel story to life. I think it will help you better understand the life of Jesus and what he taught us in his word. So would you call us after the program? Make your January, maybe your first of the year gift to this listener-supported ministry and ask for it and we'll send you the Gospel of Luke DVD. Here's our number to call after the program, 800-654-2836, 800-65-HAVEN. Or you can go online and watch some scenes off the DVD and then make your gift at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. And now let's get started. Here's our opening song with Travis Cottrell. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. 
firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving ceases, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the Of the world by darkness lay. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the brave heroes again. He stands in victory. Sin's curse has lost its grip on me.
This is Haven Today and a program called Meeting Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. I'm Charles Morris. And Travis Cottrell opened the program with a combination of In Christ Alone and the Solid Rock. It was an ancient theologian by the name of Tertullian who asked the famous question, What has Athens to do with Jerusalem? To us, nearly 2,000 years later, the question doesn't seem that profound. Athens, the premier city of ancient Greece, and Jerusalem, the temple city of ancient Israel, Tertullian wasn't talking about geography when he posed that question. Athens and Jerusalem are just across the Mediterranean from each other, a two-hour plane flight today, a multiple-day or week journey back then. Tertullian was talking about two fundamental approaches to life and knowledge. He was talking about philosophy and religion. Athens was the city of philosophers, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, Euripides, Zeno, the Stoic. All of these towering figures in Greek philosophy made Athens their home at one point or another. Athens was the city where the world's greatest orators would come to show off their skills in hopes of becoming a regular attraction or even employed as a public defendant. It was a diverse city with a single goal, find the truth and say it well. Philosophy was the way to find truth. The intellectual life of a person became the most important. Tertullian's question, what has Athens to do with Jerusalem, was talking about philosophy. And, though, it was talking about religion. Jerusalem was a religious hub in the ancient world. It was, until A.D. 70, the central location of worship for Jewish believers. But more important, it was the place where the Lord Jesus was crucified and buried, only to rise again in victory three days later. Jerusalem was the city of salvation, the city where our Lord finished his work and redeemed his people once and for all. Finding the truth there meant opening your ears to listen, to hear the Lord speak and to believe his word that he spoke. What has Athens to do with Jerusalem? Why would we try to find truth in this world when we can open our ears to hear truth directly from the Lord? That was Tertullian's question. And for many of us, we grew up in households or church circles that thought the same thing. We grew up thinking that the only truth worth knowing was what we can find in the Bible. If the Bible doesn't say it, it probably isn't true. There's a simplicity in a thought like that, but we have to be careful that we don't go too far. If you were to ask Jesus, what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? He might say more than you think. Jesus thought there was a lot to learn from the world. He told his disciples to pay attention to the seasons because they teach a lot about the return of Christ. He reminded Nicodemus about the wind so that he could learn about the Holy Spirit. And in Luke 16, he used a story about a wicked rascal to teach us about what it means to follow the Lord. Let's listen to that story. Let's do it together from Luke 16, the first nine verses. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. 
Jiguan. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Coming from the Gospel of Luke DVD from Luke 16, I'm Charles Morris here on Haven Today, and I'll share our contact details with you in just a moment so you can get a copy of this word-for-word presentation of the Gospel of Luke on DVD. In this passage we just heard, Jesus was showing us that even unjust behavior like this steward can be learned from. The steward, as you can tell, was not a righteous man. He was, in fact, a wicked man. But Jesus commended him as wise, and he used this parable to emphasize three realities. Reality one, there really is a difference between the children of this world and the children of the light. We live in a world right now, especially here in North America, that tells us all people are God's children, no matter who they are, where they come from. And of course, in one way, that is correct. Every single human being is a beloved creature made in the image of God. But in another way, this is very wrong. Because of sin, we've been separated from our Lord, our Heavenly Father. And we are now, as the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, children of wrath, children of the world. There really is a difference. And Jesus makes that clear, yet he commends the children of the world. And that brings me to a second reality. Children of the world are wiser than the children of light. And the difference doesn't lie in how smart one side is compared to the other. The only way to become a child of the light is to receive and follow the Lord. To all who received him, John says, he gives the right to become a child of God. Jesus commends the wicked servant for his wisdom. His master was about to fire him anyway. He was being accused of malpractice, so he acted quickly, and he cut some deals with his master's debtors. It was unfair to his master, but it was quick thinking. He was fired, but his deal-making made sure he had jobs waiting for him on the other side. Jesus says our life should be like that. He says that this is a wise way to live. How can that be? How can this kind of injustice be a way to live our lives? Well, it brings me to the third reality, that this story is a parable for how we live. Well, the point is clear. 
if Christians would spend as much time on their walk with the Lord as the world does on its earthly pursuits, the Church of Jesus Christ would be in a much more healthy state. A child will spend more time learning how to whistle than many of us do on spending time with our Lord and growing in the light of His grace. The steward in this parable, if nothing else, was skilled at what he did. He spent time learning how to craft deals, how to keep enough people happy to always have a source of income. He devoted his time and his energy to an unjust cause. But that teaches us about our own devotion. Why is the world more devoted to injustice and ungodliness than we are to the Lord and faithfully living our lives in response to him? Yes, the steward was unjust. He was nothing less than a rascal. But we have much to learn about him, about time spent as well as time wasted. Jesus would go on to tell the story of Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man spending his days getting richer but ignoring the needy who were poorer. Lazarus spending his days looking for help, ultimately trusting in God. Lazarus was saved in the end, and the rich man wasn't. That's a warning to the greedy. But chapter 17 serves as a strong reminder that we are unable to earn the Lord's favor. We might think that acting shrewdly like this servant will earn us the Lord's favor, but we're wrong. Jesus reminds us after chapter 16 in chapter 17 that this is not how his kingdom works. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. A short illustration from Luke 17 in the Gospel of Luke DVD. But even though it's short, it cuts right to the heart. We imagine the Lord is thrilled to have us on his team, that he needs us somehow, that we're earning his love and blessing by obeying him faithfully. All I can say is wrong, wrong, wrong. Those who have that mindset need to hear what Jesus just said. There is not an employee in the world today that does what they are supposed to do and receives extra praise and bonuses from their boss. If you're thinking of your relationship with the Lord as a job, then you haven't quite learned what Christ was all about. Doing what you're asked is good, but it isn't ultimately what gives you everlasting life. Only Christ can do that, because only Christ has fully devoted himself to you. Instead of working tirelessly to earn from the Father, we can rest in what Christ has done for us, and we can receive his blessings already. We don't have to work for them. It's the strength of his love that empowers us to live by faith, faith alone. Christ saves. We don't save. Not our good works, and certainly not our wisdom. Jesus saves. That's the point. That's the message of Luke 16 and Luke 17. And praise the Lord that it is. Rock of ages.
angels cleft for me. Let me hide myself in Thee. Let the water and the blood from Thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath. My zeal, no respite, no. Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou Set to a modern tune, but still containing those rich lyrics from the past. Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, from Sovereign Grace's Upward album. I'm Charles Morris with the program Meeting Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Tomorrow is a big day in the United States. It is Inauguration Day. And with the unrest we've seen recently, all eyes will be on Washington. Let me invite you to turn your eyes, though, to Jesus. Sometimes we can get so caught up in this world and the affairs of this world, our affection for Jesus begins to cool off. How we need right now, today, and tomorrow 
to turn our eyes to Jesus. And I can't think of a better way to do this than by reading through the Gospel of Luke. There's still time to read it with me this month. And to help you do this, I'd like to send you the DVD called The Gospel of Luke. As you watch this word-for-word feature film with a presentation of the Gospel, your affection, I think, with Jesus will grow. They're skilled actors. It was shot on location in the Mediterranean. I appreciate how the DVD allows you to select to watch it with either the NIV or the KJV translations. This experience will help you with your new year and your walk with Jesus. Why don't you call us right now? Would you make your first of the year gift? And we'll send you the Gospel of Luke DVD. Here's the number to call. 800 654 2836 865 Haven. Or go online and watch those sample scenes we've put up from the movie. And you can make your gift when you're there and ask for the DVD at haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow? We're going to go to Washington tomorrow for a special interview with a pastor. And we'll talk to him about how he's preaching grace to both sides of the aisle. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow? But again, we'll share together the great story. It's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. If you've ever gone through the process of buying a home, then you know the most important thing, location, location, location. A house could have great bones on a lot of land, but it's not in the right place. Its value is dramatically different. Where you are has a deep connection with who you are, and as believers in the Lord, this truth couldn't be more encouraging. More than 50 times the Apostle Paul tells us where we are in Him, in Christ. We walk in His love, we live in His presence, and that makes all the difference. Apart from Him, we're hopelessly lost. But location, 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 in Him, we're bestowed with the greatest love, love that gave itself for us. Spend more time with Jesus with Anchor Devotional. Visit GetAnchor.com.